Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to the History Today podcast. In this episode, the last days of India's first Prime Minister. First, a quick mention of our May issue, which is out now, and features articles on how France tried to gain a foothold in 17th century Siam, the Industrial Revolution in Roman Britain, the founding of Christchurch, and why Britishness was a Scottish invention. The May issue is in stores now, and you can also get it via the History Today app, available on iPad, Kindle Fire, Android tablets, and smartphones. The cover story for the May issue is called Death of a Democrat. It's written by Gayanesh Kudesha and concerns the last years of Jawaharlal Nehru, India's first Prime Minister, who died 50 years ago. We talked to Gayanesh by telephone from his home in Singapore, where he teaches contemporary South Asian history at the National University. Here he is, speaking to History Today Deputy Editor Charlotte Crow. So, Gayanesh, you begin your piece with a reference to the liberation of Goa in December 1961. That was authorised by Nehru, wasn't it? But it seems as if it doesn't quite fit in with his wider policy of non-alignment. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the significance of, of that in, incursion and what it meant politically for Nehru. I think uh, India had this position that uh, it should... Uh, Possess, it should repossess all the formal, former colonial uh, territories in the Indian subcontinent. And Goa was, of course, you know, part attached to the mainland in some ways. And there was a small movement within Goa which wanted reunification with India. But these diplomatic efforts were not really successful. Uh, of course, in 1961, when Nehru 
know, decided to go use military force. This was uh, partly out of frustration arising from the failure of the diplomatic efforts, but partly also driven by the context uh, of that period, which is really the tensions over the border issue with China, which had been escalating after 1959. So how was uh, Nehru's political standing at home in 1961, and how was that uh, affected by um, by that uh, incursion into Goa? Well, Nehru, you know, by this by this year, you know, enjoyed huge popularity. As you know, he was already close to finishing his second term as the prime minister. He had been in office for about 10 years, and a national election uh, took place soon after that. It was scheduled to take place in early 1962. So in late 1961, when Nehru decided to uh, use military force to liberate Goa within inverted commas, in some ways, he, you know, there was also this very populist sort of uh, consideration of looking at the national election, and in some ways trying to camouflage the situation vis-à-vis China. In 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 terms of, you know, India had to concede fair bit of ter- territory to China, so the border policy vis-à-vis China had not been doing very well. So it was it was. A politically um, motivated decision that that probably did him good service for the patriotic cause of Indians at home. In the short term, in the short term, with an eye to the national election, uh, certainly. But it also attracted a fair bit of criticism in relation to his policy of non-alignment. Can you just expand a little bit on the policy of non-alignment for people to explain to people exactly what that amounted to? Yes. I mean, this was uh, really the position which evolved, uh, and Nehru was very central in the evolution of this position, that newly liberated countries uh, in Asia and Africa who had experienced colonial rule for many years, after attaining independence, should not belong to any of the Cold War blocs, which had emerged after the Second World War. And Nehru was an important voice in this, movement which sort of got formalized uh, in the only in 1961 but you know the these kind of voices and a kind of a uh, effort in having a collective international voice and and that policy um uh, was affected wasn't it by the uh, actions of the what you call the Himalayan Pearl Harbor uh, the Sino-Indian war that broke out suddenly on October the 19th and 20th after many incursions on that border uh, in 1962. Well, I think it was a, it was it came as a great moment of crisis for him, and of course, you know, Nehru was a person who had uh, seen him seen many crises through his long career. Uh, I one can think of you know the you know the early moments of crisis. Then, of course, you have the crisis during partition in 1947, whether to accept the demand for a separate Muslim nation. So uh, in some ways, you know, he was a man who had dealt with uh, crisis, moments of crisis. But the 1962 crisis, which he had to face, was 
probably the greatest crisis which he faced. And in some ways, it was not just him alone. In some ways, it was the a national crisis which India faced as a new nation. Did it isolate him politically, even within the Congress Party? To some extent, uh, challenged his authority. Uh, but in, he was not really isolated. There was a moment when he almost got isolated over the issue of his defence minister, the very controversial V.K. Krishna Menon, who was a favourite of Nehru and who owed his political position in the cabinet, mainly due to Nehru's patronage, and who was not a very well-liked figure politically. So uh, Nehru insisted on keeping him in the cabinet, and then at that point, uh, the Congress party and the senior members of his own cabinet sort of put pressure on Nehru to sack him, sack his defense minister, Krishnamenon, for over the debacle in the war with China. So I think that that was a moment when Nehru almost was isolated. But later in the year, in 1963, the criticism became more severe and more open and direct. Before we talk about that, um, the events of the Sino-Indian War coincided with the Cuban Missile Crisis. How did the wider world, and particularly the US and the USSR, respond to um, Nehru's requests for aid in the Sino-Indian situation? I think the Cuban Missile Crisis affected events in in the Indian subcontinent, and particularly in relation to the Sino-Indian conflict, uh, partly because both the Soviet Union and the U.S. were involved uh, by a strange coincidence over those three weeks when the Himalayan war was going on between India and China. You know, they were engaged over this, uh, they were engaged in this contest over uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. So both the leaders, leaders, the top leaders, were really occupied with this. And it was a moment of great suspense and great uncertainty, as we know, mm-hmm. from records which are, which are now open for, for that period. But in the Indian context, Nehru, of course, was aware that the Chinese situation could get out of hand, the border situation. But he, I think, had this hope that the Soviet Union will be able to restrain China. Uh, And uh, in some ways, the Soviet Union, because the Soviet leadership was so preoccupied, and this was really a moment of crisis for them as well, So they did not really play that part of restraining China. And, of course, at this time, Nehru was not aware of the emerging differences, the rift within the communist movement internationally, the rift which was developing between China and the Soviet Union. And war with uh, China also threw into relief other long-term concerns over territory, particularly Kashmir, um, how did Nehru's death impact on the, or, or, or decline, shall we say, impact on the Kashmir situation? You know, the Kashmir situation, of course, uh, had, Kashmir had been an important bilateral issue between India and Pakistan. And, of course, as we know that when in, India asked for help, uh, soon after the China attack, 
from the Soviet Union, from the USA, from the UK. Uh, the response was, the Soviet response was somewhat limited because Soviet Union was concerned at arming India in fighting China because it looked upon China as a fraternal communist country. Uh, the US and the UK came forward with help, military, military help. Uh, but when this help was offered, Pakistan protested because Pakistan saw this help as a potential threat to mm -hmm. its own security. And Pakistan appealed to uh, America and to the, the British authorities not to provide this help. Uh, so this became a kind of a issue. And then uh, the outcome was that help was offered to India by the Americans and by the British governments, but only on the condition that India would begin to negotiate with Pakistan over the Kashmir question. Mm -hmm. So the Kashmir question came to be opened up to international sort of negotiation and mediation. Just one final question. Gandhi had identified Nehru as his natural successor. What was Nehru's view about who his uh, successor should be after his after his death? Who should fill his shoes? Nehru uh, did not really, uh, you know, address the question of succession. He believed that a young democratic country like India, uh, the, the question of succession should be decided by his political colleagues in the Congress party and by the people. So he, you know, this whole question about after Nehru who uh, had been looming there, particularly after the war with China and over the last two years of his prime ministership, particularly this question was very much in the, very much in the foreground. But uh, he did not really take steps to uh, you know, nominate a successor or to ensure that a successor was put in place. The the as you know that the succession, you know, the choice fell upon Lal Bahadur Shastri, who was a close confidant of Nehru and a long-standing political associate from his own uh, state of uh, Uttar Pradesh, and this was a choice which was made unanimously. Uh, within a week of Nehru's passing away. Thank you. Well, I know you go into a lot more detail than that about the, those final de moving days of Nehru's life in the article, Death of a Democrat, in, in the May issue. And I hope people will enjoy it as much as I have. Thanks very much, Gayanesh Kudesha. Thank you very much, Thank Charlotte. You.